Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Uh, my name is Ian Cheeseman and this is a, a podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things Manchester City. And it's sponsored by Howard Solicitors, who are based in Stockport, Ashton and Cheshire. They specialise in family law. So if you're going through a separation, for example, or you're having problems with access to your children or with social services, then give them a call 01618 72 email law at or just have a look at the website, howardslisters.com. And although they're local to where we are, as we record this, albeit on Zoom, so we're not actually together, um, it is uh, solicitors who can give you advice wherever you are in the world, actually. So if you drop them an email or have a look at the website, you might get some information that helps you. And I'm sure that they'd be delighted to know that, having heard about it on the Forever Blue podcast, that they've been able to help you in some way. They're really good guys, so uh, remember that. Anyway, my guest this week, um, I have, uh, first of all, Amy and Adam, who are from the Forever Blue squad, so regulars. But we also have the uh, the legend, that is, Nicky Weaver, um, hero of 99, on the uh, match day vlog that I do yesterday. I hope you've seen that on YouTube. I was chatting to John Wardle, chairman of City, when times were tough, when he was paying the wages out of his own pocket, albeit that his pockets were quite big because of JD Sports. But still, you know, he was using his own money to pay the players' wages so that the club wouldn't go under. And I said to him at the time, I said, you and the heroes of 98-99 and coming back by Gillingham, without you guys, we wouldn't be here today. And Nick knows that's how I feel anyway, because I've hosted a few different dinners and stuff that we've been together at. And there is so much love out there for you, Nick, and for people like John Wardle who kept the club going, that even in these times when everything's fantastic and we're watching dream football, we should never, and, and always tell the younger people as well, never to forget what, what went on in the past. And when other fans of other teams say, ah, you're a club with no history, come on, we've got a better history than anybody else. Because when you've had them downs and you've had those heroic returns, isn't it so much better than when you just go on that flat line? You know, it's just, it's just brilliant being a City fan. Can't beat it. So, Nicky, on the basis that um, I've given you that big build-up, um, how much are you enjoying what's what's happening now and how much credit you t- do you take for it? Yeah, thanks for the uh, warm welcome, Cheesy. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, it's up to other people to to decide how much you know credit deserves um, for that team way back when, but... Um, I think it certainly makes the story, you know, a lot more romantic. Like you said, it's not just um, win, win, win all the time. There's been some tough times supporting City. And it, if you're sort of a certain age and you've been watching them a long time, there's been, you know, plenty of ups and downs. And um, fortunately now, you know, there's a lot more ups than downs. And I think what it does do, it, it makes all the City fans, particularly the ones of, you know, a little bit older, really appreciate everything they're witnessing right now. Uh, because, you know, the last sort of 10 years, it's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, so I think from where we were to where we are, it just makes everyone appreciate, you know, how good it is. Um, hopefully these times are here to stay for a long, long time, but you never know in football, so you've really got to cherish and, and enjoy and, and sort of realise how lucky you are. I mean, for example, if we got to the FA Cup final, if we won the FA Cup final, finished second and got to the Champions League final, it'd be a disappointing season. So that that just, for me, it's, you know, unless you win the Premier League, at least, it'll be a disappointing season. So that shows, you know, how far the club have come and where they are now. 
And you've been on the journey all the way through. Not only were you part of that, that team, that resurgent team that started to climb back up, but even though you're a Sheffield lad and you were signed from Mansfield and I know that your first love it really is Sheffield Wednesday, the Owls, you are as much of a, of a city person and a city hero and a legend and part of the story as anybody else. And it's, it's really in your blood now. You've got to admit that, even though you're a Sheffield lad. Absolutely, and my kids as well. I, you know, I always say that they're Manchester Wednesday fans um, because they're the Sheffield Wednesday fans and Man City fans. So yeah, and um, even now, people just people I've not seen for years or people who don't know me, for example, they always think I'm from Manchester because um, that's where I sort of broke into the team as a young lad. And um, and yeah, it's only I think my uh, my Yorkshire accent that sort of gives it away. But yeah, listen, it, Man City has been. You know, I'm only 44 now, and I had 10 years there, and you know, I can't remember the first four years of my life. So pretty much a quarter of my life was at Man City. So, um, so yeah, it's been a huge part of my life, sort of a life-changing experience. And, um, you know, when you've experienced what I've experienced at City, both good and bad, um, it, it does give you an attachment to the club. And it's something that will, I'm sure will live with me forever. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about the 99 season at some point during this podcast. And, um People talk to me more about it now than they did probably two years after it happened. So, um, so yeah, it's something that I'm, you know, immensely proud of. That you know, I played for City for such a long time and uh, played as many games as I did and enjoyed three promotions there. So yeah, it's 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 you know the sort of biggest part of, of my life really. One question, which it feels like we're jumping ahead, but no doubt we'll come to again a little bit later on. I've got to ask is, given that you are a Manchester Owl, a Manchester Wednesday fan, the semi-final at Wembley next week against Sheffield United must be a particular game that you want to see the, the blue half of Manchester win. Yeah, um, I'm going down to the game. I'm doing the radio for it. Um, but my girlfriend and kids are coming down as well because a lot of their friends are Sheffield United fans. So they were, as soon as the, it was, the draw was made, they were desperate to come down. Um, so, yeah, it'll be a great occasion. Um, so, yeah, we're desperate for City to win, as we always are anyway. But uh, it, it's just a little bit, you know, a bit extra special because it's Sheffield United. Now I know a lot of people there and, um, you know, I might need an abacus by the end of the game. But, um, you know, funny thing, a lot of things can happen in the game of football, um, as, as we all well know. But, yeah, it should, uh, should be a good game. But, listen, it's one that, you know, we fully expect City to to win comfortably, comfortably. Sorry. I'm going to bring the other two in in a second, but let's go now back to what happened against Leicester and where City were in the previous midweek against Bayern Munich. I've heard some people suggesting that that performance against Bayern was one of the best City performances in the club's history. And there have been a few challenges to that recently, the 4-1 against Liverpool and obviously in the last few years, 6-1 at Old Trafford and who knows, you could pick out quite a lot of games, but how... how how good are City at the moment? Are we watching the best City team in the club's history? Yeah, I, I, I sort of think so. Um, which is, you say that, but then we could end up still not winning the Premier League. I personally think we will. I think we've said it all along. Um, and it's the business end of the season and City are coming good, you know, when, when they need to come good. Um, the thing is, I'd say about City is, particularly Premier League-wise, they've done it. They've been there and done it many times. Arsenal haven't. So it might be a bit squeaky bum time for, for Arsenal. And obviously the last couple of results haven't gone as they would have liked. Um, 
but it's still in both teams' hands, isn't it? Because if they both win all the games, then um, that takes care of business. But yeah, listen, Pep's a hugely experienced manager. In my opinion, the best manager in the world. He's got some of the best players in the world playing at their best. Um, so yeah, City are coming good at the right time. And, um, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, you know, the treble's very much sort of in sight and it would be, uh, you know, it would be a wonderful achievement you know, if they could do it. But there's, there's, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of twists and turns between now and the end of the season. You're the third person in 24 hours of high-profile City person I'd describe. Um, John Wardle said it, and Neil Lennon said it on my vlog as well. The treble's a possibility. So let's get some reaction from two down-to-earth City fans on whether that's tempting fate um, or, you know, whether that, that's a conversation you never want to have, you don't want to say it, you don't want to mention trebles. Um, so tell us your thoughts on the game, Amy, against Leicester, because obviously there were some City fans, I say obviously if you look on social media and whatever, they were very critical of City's second-half performance, um, and yet we're talking about this this great team. Where are you on the treble, and where, what did you make of you yesterday against Leicester? Yeah, and first half was brilliant. Uh, John Stone's goal was amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, second half went a bit thingy, but I don't know whether that's because Pep made too many changes. I don't know. It, it seemed to go off a bit. Um, but I get why he did it. You know, we've got a lot of games. Players need rest. Um, but there was quite a funny thing in the lift on the way back down. Uh, a guy asked the lift uh everyone in the lift if Harland deserved man of the match um because you know did he or did he not and the whole of the lift said no he didn't um because basically he's giving it because of the goals not that he played well or any you know anything like that um and I think that's the problem sometimes when people pick man of the match they seem to pick people on the goals not the performances, um, I feel like Nathan Aki has been my player of the season and I think he will continue to be my player of the season. Um, and I think some people are let, you know, are left in the shadows quite a lot. Uh, but yeah, it was quite an interesting lift chat on the way back down. Um, but yeah, um, going from the Bayern Munich game, absolutely brilliant. Really, really standout performance. Um but yeah, I you know me, I never talk about trophies till we've got them in the hand. So we've got that what them two hands on that trophy. So yeah, I'll leave that to Adam. <laughs> so, so just before Adam comes in, when when John Wardle says, Yes, we can dream, yes, the treble's on, Neil Lennon says it, Nikki's now said it. Do you go, oh, you cringe, do you think, don't say it, don't say <laughs> it? Or are you dreaming it? Do you think it's a possibility? I mean you know, I'd I'd love to be it. I'd love in my lifetime to see us win the Champions League. And I know everyone goes on, oh, I don't want that. We'd rather win the Premier League. But that is our next goal in in our in our team is to get that trophy. I'm fed up of hearing even teams who've never even seen the Premier League trophy saying, you know, where's your European Cup? I'd like I'd like it. I'd actually really genuinely like it. Um. You know, I'd like us to to lift that, but until I see until I see it, I, I don't believe it. Look what happened with Wigan. Wigan took, you know, I will still remember them days. Like, you know, there is always twists and turns. And uh, until I see both hands on that trophy, then 
no, I don't believe it yet. Adam, uh, I know you're a, quite a, a methodical thinker. So are you thinking, don't mention the treble? Or are you dreaming about it? No, I've not really been talking about much else for weeks, Ian. I mean, um, you know, we're, we're in a good position now to pick up that treble as we've ever been. I'm not superstitious. I don't think I understand why the players need to, to take it one game at a time and, and stay professional. But we're fans. We don't have to do that. We can talk about it all day long, and I'm more than happy to. Um, I've always said, I've always been one of those people, Amy mentions, where um, I've always said the title is the one. Um, and I still think that we can write our, ourselves into history by winning the league this year because we'd make it five, five firsts and a second out of six years. Nothing that anyone's ever done before, I don't think. Uh, so I'd still probably say the one I want is the league. But I must admit, the other night against Bayern, I was in, I was in all over the place. I couldn't analyse that match at all when we came back because uh, I was so nervous during it. I thought they were absolutely toe-to-toe -to -toe with us for at least half an hour. I thought they were... It was a bit like... Um, you remember the old Superman movie where he, Superman has to fight a, another version of himself? And I felt like it was like that in midfield. I thought they were as slick as slick going forward on the ball in the midfield as we ever are at our best. And when we won one up, I was relieved. When we went two up, I was relieved. And when we went three up, that's the first time I really started to think that we'd, we'd won this tie. And even now I've calmed down from that. Uh, I know it's 3-0 and, and it would be an absolute disaster if we didn't go on and win it from there. But I still feel like I'm glad we got that third because I've got a feeling we might need it coming there because they're, they're an absolutely great side. If we get past them, I really will start to feel we can win that that trophy that we have felt doomed in sometimes in the past for many different reasons over many different years but surely we've never been as close now if we can get past Bayern to, to picking that up Arsenal today showed me that we can win the league um, not just because of the points to drop but because actually how predictable them dropping those points became as soon as it went to 2-1 I just thought they were looked incredible when they were 2-0 up and then they looked a little bit scared when it went to 2-1 so I think we can overhaul them in the in the league and you know we're two games away from winning the FA Cup uh, so why would we not be talking about the treble so you, the superstition obviously don't come in then from your perspective no, no. Uh, and do, do you feel as if uh, the Brian game is over now I mean you've, you've said you're glad they got the third goal the Blues but I, I look at that and think come on it's, it's over that game City aren't gonna I, I have to write a newspaper column every week and I've just written it and it's published on Thursday I can't write it after the buying game. It's too late for the deadline. So me waxing lyrical about, oh, hopefully it'll be Real Madrid in the uh, semi-finals and we can get revenge for it, will look really stupid when that comes out on Thursday. If we've gone out, but you, you've got to make a commitment in your head as to, you know, if it was 1-0, I'd have a completely different perspective. Uh, maybe even two, but, but watching a game unfold, because I get, my son always says, oh, you're, you're becoming arrogant, Dad. Shouldn't be saying about City winning all these games. But it's just the evidence of what you see in front of you, isn't it? I think, I think they did, they, they were struggling at the end. And I wish the game had been 10 minutes longer because I thought we were getting stronger and stronger towards the end. But in that first half, I really thought it was, it was pretty 50-50. Yeah, certainly the first half hour, I thought they were pretty impressive. And if they get an early goal next week, you just don't, you just don't know. So I'm really glad we got that third, I have to say. So here we are, the, the verge of a semi-final of the Champions League, Nick. And uh, City played so well against Bayern Munich that a rematch against Real Madrid, if that's what happens, 
it's got it's got to be what everybody wants, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, they they just seem to turn it on for the. They are really are a Champions League team, aren't they? Um, Benzema just seems to get better with age. He's probably playing as well now as ever has done. Um, so yeah, whatever whatever happens, it's going to be really tough. But um, like you said, you would imagine City would cruise past Bayern. But like I said before about the FA, funny things happen in the game of football, and you know if you suddenly lose another goal and you have a man sent off, and you know people get a little bit panicky. So listen, we're ninety five percent sure that City are going to go through, but let's just sort of get get over the first hurdle first. But certainly, you know the next sort of couple of weeks is going to be absolutely massive you know, regarding the treble. Because, um, it, you know, we've seen teams before going for the treble um, and everything's looking great. Then suddenly you can lose one and draw one in two games. Then suddenly the treble's absolutely gone. So, so yeah, it's just a huge few weeks coming up for City, as it is every year at this time of the year. But they're really looking good uh, coming into form at the right time. So, fingers crossed, everything goes to plan as it should. And then, obviously, the Arsenal game in the Premier League is going to be absolute one of the biggest games that you know, the Premier League scene um, in recent years. So, yeah, uh, really exciting times these next few weeks. Amy's lift made a good point when it, when it said that, you know, Haaland didn't necessarily deserve man of the match. Um, and then you went on, Amy, to say Nathan Ake perhaps was your, you know, your star performer. Have you got a star performer this season, Nicky? Because it feels to me it's always about the team rather than the individual yeah, I mean- these days. It's funny you should say that, you know, Haaland gets man of the match. He didn't play well. He never plays well. He just <laughs> scores. Um, not that he plays bad. He just scores goals. Um, I think Ake, certainly the, the early mid part of the season, has been, uh, you know, absolutely terrific. Because he was sort of, not a forgotten man, but it looked like he might have been on his way out at one point. And um, he's, he's a bit of an unsung hero, but he's been absolutely fantastic. He played at a couple of different positions. Um, and he's been brilliant, so all credit to him. And I think Rodri's been terrific as well. I mean, you know, Bernardo's everywhere. Jack Grealish is obviously having, you know, the best season since he's been at City. And it's, um, you know, Akanji's come in this year and done absolutely fantastic. Rico Lewis. So these, they've all done really well. Um, Haaland's obviously going to take all the sort of plaudits, if you like, because, I mean... I dread to think how many goals he's going to end up with. You know, it's just uh, every time you see City playing, you know, you're just wondering how many Ireland's going to get. It's just, it's just. I don't think I've ever seen a striker with an appetite for goals like he has. Um, it's, it's quite remarkable, and to think he's only, I think he's only 22. Is he? it's um, you know City having for another five, six, seven years, they're going to get the best years out of him, and you know he's going to break all sorts of records. And I think back to the team that you played in, you being a goalkeeper as well, I'm guessing that the central defender you've mentioned, Akanji there, and obviously Ruben Diaz at the moment, is that massive sort of leader at the back. And we've had Vincent Company in that role. As a goalkeeper, is that the the player that you want to have in your, you know, in, in protecting you all the time? Is that the key position? Yeah, I mean, the, the best pair, I mean, I played, you know, lucky to play with some great centre-halves at City. Um, but the, the sort of two that stand out and this sort of complemented each other well was Richard Dunn and Sylvain Distan. Um, obviously, one right footer, one left footer, both quick, you know, played hundreds of games in the Premier. How Sylvain never played for France, I'll never know. Um, I, I think he's so um, underrated, really. He, he was brilliant, Sylvain. Um, unfortunately, he left and went to Portsmouth. Um, but yeah, he, he, for me, 
as a goalkeeper, he won't protect him. Um, and Dunny and Sylvan. But listen, there are people like Gerard Vikings, Andy Morrison, you know, people like Richard Jobson, you know, came in and, and did a great, great job, job over a couple of years. Um, so, yeah, so it's really, uh, it's nice for a goalkeeper when, and it's not always the case at City, but it doesn't seem to, to make that much difference. But it's always nice when you've got a settled, um, sort of certainly at your goalkeeper in your back two or back three and full-backs are a little bit different. But, you know, it's always nice when you've got a settled back four and, uh, and yeah, you just get that understanding and, and you know, you, you've got their back and, um, you know, I've, I've their back sort of thing. You've got their back and they've got your back. So, yeah, uh, really, really important. Um, but I think Edison, he could, you know, he could play with, he could be a centre-half and still play in goal, I think. Probably true, that. Um, I've got to ask you a bit about Sylvan Distan, actually, because um, he was such a nice fella. I've interviewed him loads of times and, and and a very underrated central defender. When people look back on different eras, I rarely hear his name mentioned. But one 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 question I've got to ask is, you might know the answer to this because you didn't know him a lot better than me, was he said once in an interview, I don't even like football. I, I'm just good at it. Is that true? Um, he won't be on his own there. You know, listen, every kid dreams of being a footballer. Um, but except Sylvan, this damn maybe. Except <laughs> Sylvan, but there's a lot of players. You know, I've played with players and there's, oh, I can't wait to retire. Because it is a job at the end of the day. and It's the best job in the world. And I wish I could turn the clock back and still be playing. But ultimately, I mean, when I was playing, people say, what are you doing? So I said, I've got work tomorrow. That's not work. I said, well, it's work for me. It's my, it's my job. It's what I do for a living. So... I understand it to a point. I'm sure now if you give Sylvan the chance to, you know, turn the clock back and if he could play again, it, it'd rip your arm off. But uh, I, I never, I never sensed that with him. Um, it was, it, Sylvan, it was brilliant. It was left-footed. It was good in the air. It was quick. He'd put his body on the line for you. Um, it was a fantastic centre-off. And like I said earlier, how he never played for France, I, I, I'll never know. But he, uh, like I say, played hundreds of games, certainly very underrated and, uh, you know, he went to Everton, did really well, and I think he finished off at Bournemouth. Um, he was always a, you know, physical specimen. So, you know, playing in today's game would have been absolutely no problem to him whatsoever. Um, but yeah, good lad, and uh, and yeah, I never knew that he had a such a, such a dislike for football. <laughs> Maybe I'm doing him a disservice. He's he's very welcome to come on the podcast and tell us what his thoughts were. But I, I'm a big big fan of his. Um, Adam, obviously, Amy's picking out um, Nathan Ake. Um, who would you pick out then as is there a key player in this City team? Yeah, I mean I, I am one of those that thinks scoring goals is what it's about so it's quite right that Haaland is, is getting all the plaudits because he's just doing unheralded stuff but if you, that's easy to say if we take that away for me it's Rodri he has been the one player possibly alongside Haaland who's done it for the whole season I mean there's players you know there's I mean Ake has as well of course but um players that I really love like Ruben Diaz and Johnny Stones that have you know had great parts of the season but if you look across the whole season Rodri is just there 90 minutes plus week after week after week um, I think he's the one player that if, if he was to go out of the team it could derail us a little bit I just don't think we've got anything else in the squad at the moment that can that can replace him Haaland being Haaland we've still got Alvarez if needed you know just about every other player you know, we've got Laporte coming in yesterday you know, backing up centre halves, but Rodri, I just think, is absolutely irreplaceable for us at the moment. And if we do go on to make a record-breaking season, it's in no small part to him. 
sorry, and I'll just just pick up on your point there about Rodri. When I see him, it, it, it looks like he's a 21 year old playing in the under 15s. Yes. It, it looks bigger, stronger, more handsome yeah. than anyone sweats. else on the I pitch. Mean, he bosses that midfield and he's never even sweating at the end of the game. And he's, he scores a worldie with his left foot, you know, a worldie with his right foot against Villa, I think it was, a worldie with his left foot the other day. And he's just a complete, he's just a superhuman, yeah. I think when he first came, um, obviously Fernandinho had played that role so, so well. And obviously all the City fans loved Fernandinho. Um, I felt when I first saw Rodri for the first sort of season or so, he just looked, because you were comparing him to Fernandinho, he just looked a little bit more cumbersome and, a, you know, a bit not as, um, you know, as, as athletic, as uh, dynamic as uh, Fernandinho was. But if you look at his age now, is he like 25? Yeah, yeah. So he's going to be another four, five, six years of, you know, he's an absolute incredible player. Um, yeah. So, yeah, if I were to pick one player, he'd probably... I think Ake, thing with Ake is, I think it surprised everybody because he was never really a regular. Um, he's obviously done brilliant and credit to him, but it's more of a surprise with Ake, I think. Um, but like I said, the whole season, Rodri's been fantastic. And it... And I don't really know where Calvin Phillips is going to ever fit in. Because, mm. it, you know, Pep has options to play him sometimes in the Cups or whatever it is and doesn't really, obviously, criticise him when he come back from the World Cup. Um, so, Rodri's made that position his own. They spent 45, 46 million on, on um, Calvin Phillips and I don't really ever see him getting in. When I think about the, what makes City special at the moment, and you could say this about any football team, um, you can always look at individuals and, you, you know, before Haaland came in, you could say, you know, had a great goal scoring record. Calvin Phillips, who you've mentioned, was a key player for Leeds United. Uh, and now when I watch the game and the, the older I get and the sort of more experience I've had, the more I think that maybe it's the personality of a player. Um, that is just as important as the statistics and what they can actually do. And you look at Rodri, for example, and we only get a little insight through official videos at the club play out. So we don't, you know, you, you don't get that personal contact or that sort of real insight into what they're like. But from everything I read and hear about Rodri, he's very, very grounded. He goes to the training ground in, in, a, in like a, I won't say a clapped out car, you know, but he's not in some fancy um, car, you know, and he's. I met his brother at one at a game at Wolves, and he seemed very, very ordinary bloke and very, very proud of his brother. And so I look around at this eleven, and I think, why is it that they're so special? And I can't help thinking that when Cheeky Begiristein or Pep or whoever it is, Brian Marwood, whoever it is, who goes looking at these players, that they must go, what's he like off the field? What what sort of personality has he got? You know, um, is he humble? Is he is he arrogant? Is he, you know, you're sort of looking for all those personalities. Now, you're involved in the professional game still, Nicky. You know, I know it's it's a specialist position, perhaps, you know, being a goalkeeper coach. But when you're involved behind the scenes at a football club and when you were a player, you know, was that ever a part of the thought process of signing a player, you know, to, to investigate the personality? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I get managers now from other clubs ring me up and say, oh, you've worked with so-and-so, I've played with so-and-so, what's he like? They know what he's like as a player. They want to know what he's like. Um, you know, I won't mention any names, but someone rung me up last summer about a player and I said to the manager, you cannot sign this player. And this was a championship manager. I said, you just can't sign him. 
So, you know, they, they, they don't just say, oh, yeah, he scored 20 goals, we'll sign him. They'll be ringing managers, agents, um, players who they know have played with them. So it's, and especially at this city, will have, they'll have a database around the world. So they'll know everything about everyone from probably the age of 14. What's, you know, South America, out in, all over the, you know, USA, everywhere. Um, so the work that goes into it now is phenomenal. And it's right, you've got to, you know, City's a team full of superstars, but they're all willing to work for each other. Um, and that's what Pep demands. So Pep wouldn't sign a player that he wasn't sure about his personality or his sort of work rate and effort, because we've seen it with people like uh, Yaya Torre, for example, who obviously all City fans love and he was fantastic. When he come, Pep didn't think he was fit enough and didn't play, simple as that. And, it, you know, he was out of the team for a long, long time. So, you know, as a manager, you know, when you're managing all these superstars, to get them all to work for each other um, and get out the best out of them when they've all got, they're all multimillionaires, they've all got egos, they're all internationals, they've all travelled around in private jets and helicopters and all that sort of stuff, uh, apart from Rodri, who's got a, a, a left car, shall we say. Um, I always think managers at the top clubs are very, very special people. So to control all them people, all them players and personalities and egos and different cultures and backgrounds, um, it's a very, very difficult job. But yeah, the, the due diligence they do on players these days is would be far beyond what you could imagine. They'll go so deep into things. Can you sense that as a fan, Amy? Can you can you look at those players that you're watching every week and and have that sense of uh, do you, do you feel as if you know them through just watching them play football? I mean, I watch the you know the little videos they do on like Instagram and Twitter. I was watching one before. Uh, it was Harland, uh, Gundogan and uh, John Stones. And they were talking about the favourite holidays and where they like to go. And they have this camaraderie of like taking the mick out of each other. And John Stones was trying to say the Louvre and like he couldn't say it. And they were all and like Harland and Gundogan were taking the mick out of him. And I just think to have that like, you know, matey bond. I mean, I don't see any, any other teams uh fan pages or whatever so I don't know what everybody else's is like but I would you know and I follow a, a lot of, I follow all the lads on their social medias and you know and um Rodri hasn't got social media he hasn't got anything like that um with you know and I've heard he donates blood and you know and he's got a degree here, here there and everywhere and you know he seems a really really nice guy and Gundogan on his birthday since he started at City has been going to like old people's homes and um and and the hospitals and like donating presents and things like that and I think that's the the down-to-earthness that City have got in their players that they're in their spare time you know if Gundogan hadn't recorded it on his 30th birthday no one would have known he does that um, so, you know, I just like the, the friendship and the camaraderie between them. And you can see that on the pitch as well, when they score, they all come together and they all give each other a hug. And, the, you know, and the, obviously poor Edison's right, you know, never like, so someone will go and get Edison because he, he's not there or whatever. And yeah, I, th I think they had that on and off the pitch. And it, it's nice to see when you watch the videos that, you know, it is genuine when they sat down and they, they're having a mess about on the downtime and stuff. Um, but yeah, that I yeah, I can see that on and off the pitch, and it's it's really good, and I think that's what helps the team win like they do, because they want to win for each other as well as the team. 
The way the game's changed, I mean, obviously, when you were playing, Nicky, I don't know what how intense this was, but the scrutiny over every morsel of food that you eat and the amount of sleep that you get, and they talk about that get that extra 1% or 2% being the, the difference. And you could argue that the, the examples Amy's just given about the personalities and the togetherness is another 1% or 2%. So you can have the best players, you can have 95%, but it is those fine margins that when you're, you know, battling for a ball, I mean, it, it amazes me when I see a player at full stretch get a toe on a ball just to keep possession, but the person, but he's still got enough of a mind to get it through to the next player who's already thinking of the next pass. And that all comes from this togetherness, this extra 5%. So the personality is part of that, isn't it? Absolutely. And when I look back at, you know, my time at City and all the successful teams I played in and other clubs when we were successful, um, there's always that team spirit and togetherness there. And it's all about putting the right personalities together. You can't, it creates itself. You know, a lot of teams, you know, I don't know, we used to go paintballing and go-karting. And just because you go go-karting with someone don't mean you like them. Or just because, you know, they're firing, but, you know, paintballing is a bit different because you can aim at the ones you don't like. But, <laughs> Uh, but, Jake, it's, it's something you can't manufacture. Um, it's something you see, I think, like within the England camp as well. It's genuine. Um, so, yeah, togetherness and, and, and sort of willing to do everything for each other and sacrificing yourself for the team is something that creates itself. And that goes back to the point before about doing the due diligence when you sign players. So if you know, you know you're going to sign a player who's pretty selfish, he's got to be a hell of a player, um, you know, that to sort of warrant signing and picking every week. Um, and, you know, we mentioned Yayo to, to and there's been one or two others. You know, Joe Cancelo going as well, that sort of the sort of whispers you hear that, you know, if he gets dropped, there's a bit of an issue. If other players get dropped or rotated, it, that they sort of do it because it's best for the team. I think with him, it's a bit little bit different. So once it's like that, it's a bit like, you know, it's a Man City podcast, I don't want to talk about Man United, but... Once Alex Ferguson deemed a player to be sort of thought it was a you know above his station, off they went. I remember it with you know Yapstam, Rude van Nistelrooy, and these are top top world beaters. They're not sort of you know fringe players that they're getting rid of. So um, you've got to buy into what what the manager and the club want from you. I must admit, um, I, I'm a big fan of Nicholas Anelka. I, I thought he was a wonderful, wonderful player. But when you heard that story of him going on to a, a camp before the away game at Southampton, I don't even remember this, Adam, uh, but uh, Nicholas Anelka wouldn't get involved in in something, you know, he, and it might have been paintballing or it might have been archery or something. I can't remember what it was now, but the rumour was that he preferred not to do the socialising stuff, you know, that once he'd done his training, he'd played his match, he'd go home, thorough professional, brilliant player. As I say, I absolutely loved him, but didn't really want to get involved in that sort of what you might call bonding. And it doesn't matter what job you're in, you know, if you're away from football, I don't know if you've ever done this as well, Amy, you know, but, you know, it might be that, that you're occasionally in a holiday or when you've got a blank day, I don't know if you ever get blank days, you get sent off with your colleagues to, to do a bit of bonding or whatever. And it might be the same for you, Adam, you know, that he didn't want to get involved in that. And I must admit, I'm one of them people who, to a point, would think, what's the point of this, you know, but you try and sort of join in with it. Um, so this group doesn't have this, Adam, does it? Well, I don't know. I mean, there were always those rumours that... Um... 
Laporte had a bit of a, of a funny personality, and, and yet he's managed to come to City and, and be professional and do the, do what he needed to do. Um, if there was trouble with him getting getting picked for his international side, there seemed to be some clash between him and Deschamps, didn't there? Um, but I don't think it, not everybody has to be the same, do they? I, you know, it would be easier, I guess, from a managerial point of view, if everyone's on the same page all the time and they're socially similar. And but but not everyone can be like that. Um, you know, De Bruyne to me seems to be somebody who's, who's quite serious and very focused on the football, and it certainly wouldn't ever say that that that's hampered him, whether he's laughing and joking or not. I certainly agree with Nicky that if somebody like Cancelo is is um, you know is having a tantrum when he doesn't get picked, then then it's then it's for the best that he's removed from the squad. And a point on that I would say is that we are lucky that we have got this manager who has the respect and has the results behind him that he's able to make a, a big call like that and cut a key member from from a pretty small squad in the middle of the season and, and everyone rallies around behind him. Um, but I don't think everybody needs to, you know, enjoy enjoy socialising together. Some people will, some people won't. That's going to be the case with any with any bunch of people, I guess. You ever work with somebody you don't like, Amy? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> um, it's hard for me because I work with women, and as you know, women are awful. Uh, and so, you know, the it'd be nice if we had some blokes that worked in the nursery. It might like def deflate some things. I don't know, but yeah, it's not. You great sound work. like a misogynist, dear Amy. Come honestly, on, be careful. Honestly, honestly, women are awful to work with. <laughs> they really are. They're not. Um, they're not great to live with. <laughs> I, I'm easygoing. I'm one of the easygoing ones. Um, but no, it, at our place, it's we've got a mixture of young girls and, and older girls. So, like when we try and like do team building and stuff, sometimes it's like, oh well, I can't, I can't leave Denton. I'll get a nosebleed. I can't go out. I can't do that. I can't. So yeah, we it's. Yeah, it's it's hard trying to like sort out nights out and stuff in 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 a nursery because it's just because people don't always. And I'm not a big drinker anymore. I used to be like really bad, but um. So yeah, I like to be home in, with my slippers on nowadays. Like no no party until five a.m. anymore for me. I suppose the kids in the nursery wouldn't be allowed out after six o'clock at night anyway. <laughs> would they? but, they'd be uh, they'd be at, they'd be at a party out harder than me. Put it that way. Obviously, Nicky being the hero of, of his era, I, so many times I've been I've been lucky enough to be in the company of Nicky and, and asked all the questions I've ever wanted to ask. So, given that you're here with us, Nicky, and I know that both Amy and Adam, specifically without embarrassing them, wanted to be on the <laughs> podcast when they knew that you were on. Um, so, therefore, um, I'm going to offer the floor now to you two. To, and this can be questions now about Nikki's era, or it can be questions about now. You know, it's up to you. And, but you got you got Nikki at your disposal in the nicest possible way. So who wants to start? You know, ask ask a question. What have you always wanted to ask Nikki Weaver? After the '99 penalty shootout, when you were doing that that mental run around, Nikki, how long do you think you'd have carried on for if you hadn't been dragged down? <laughs> Well, it, I'd have probably still been going now. To be fair, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I really don't know what came over me. Um, I, I knew if I saved that penalty, you know, we were up, and and I saved it, and you know, I, I waved the lads over, and I, then they started coming over, and then I'm thinking, well, I don't really want this to sort of end, so I, 
sort of hopped over the advertisement board, ran round the sort of gravel behind the goal as it was at the old Wembley, and then back over the advertising board. And um, you know, it was only big Andy Morrison who stopped me. And uh, the last thing I wanted, you know, at that point was sort of a fifteen-man pile-on. Um, and a lot, you know, I, I think my words to Andy were sort of like, "Get off your fat so and so." But uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, it was. But listen, absolute for a single moment in not just my career, my career and my city career, but my whole football career, my whole life really. Just a one moment like that, sort of. I was only twenty. Uh, I didn't really understand um, the sort of magnitude of it and. Um, obviously a few of the other lads were a little bit old that was my first season you know playing in the first team I played 55 games that year and I never played as many again in a single season um, so yeah so for it to happen to me right at the beginning of my career everyone always sort of remembered me for that but yeah it was uh, it wasn't planned but something I'm uh, I'm glad I did and you know it's uh, quite often a talking point when you know Cheese has mentioned earlier we do these dinners every now and then together it's you know, what people want to know about. So, yeah, if people want to know about it, I'm willing to talk about it. I was lucky enough that was right by that corner flag where you were when it, when, you, when it started. Well, so, it was a bit I think I went that way because my mum and dad and everybody, my brother and all my mates were in that corner. So, I think that's why I went. Right. That's the I can think of why I went round that way. Um, so, yeah, but just, uh, you know, just great, great memories and, uh, you know, it'll stay with you forever. Yeah. Amy, what's your... I did that same run. So uh, as you went running, I ran out of my house and ran down the street. <laughs> so I probably did the same. You had pile on though, did you? No, I didn't have the 20-man pile. No, I didn't. But I literally, as soon as you set off running, I set off running down my street. And then I stood at the end with a placard saying, beat, beat your horns for sea. <laughs> yeah. just, just amazing, because that was that. You know, once the ball had hit my hands and deflected away, that's the end of the season. That's it. It's done. It's finished. And uh, the over override. Once we'd all settled down, the, the sort of the overriding emotion was relief because we just had to get out of that division. Because listen, I'm a Sheffield. I work at Sheffield Wednesday down. We're in that division, and it's horrible. Um, you know, a team like Sheffield Wednesday shouldn't be in division. Man, Man City should never have been in that division. Um, but when you look back, it makes the story more romantic. And you know, um, I'm sure they're going to make a you know, a film out of it one day. Um, they are. There's a question. Who would you have play you then if it was turned oh, into yeah. film? Well, people used to say I used to look like Kiefer Sutherland. But I don't know. Um, you'd, need, you'd need someone like younger now though, wouldn't you? To I like know. play you as 20. I don't know if someone like Tom Holland or something inspired him. I don't think he'd be tall enough or whatever, but yeah. <laughs> um, I actually went to watch the Super Mario film with my kids the other day. So maybe Super Mario could play it. <laughs> There's a certain irony that, that your heroics in 99 coincided with United's travel, didn't it? And here we are, um, 24 years later, is it? Um, thinking maybe this May, June, it, it, the shoe could be on the other foot, eh? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, um, it's quite a while to sort of like the end of the Premier League and the Champions League final, but, um, you know, like, You've just got to dream big, haven't you? You know, there's no reason why City can't do it. To win the Premier League, you've got to be the best team. To win the Cups, you don't have to be the best team. You just need a little bit of luck at the right times. If You know, if they hadn't, you know, we had mad five minutes in Madrid, which cost us. Um, you know, and, and 
City, they can't keep, they're that good, they can't keep, you know, failing in the Champions League. They're good, they're good at whether it's this season, next season, they're going to win it. We just hope it's this season. They, they can't, they're that good and everyone knows they're that good. It's just the, it's just like the Holy Grail, isn't it? Like the Premier League always thinks the bread and butter, but we've done that. So we'd sacrifice, you know, two Premier Leagues for one Champions League because that then really does sort of finish the trophy cabinet off, doesn't it? You too, I think where I get so optimistic is that um, Pep is always, you know, famed for doing these tweaks in the later stages of the Champions League. And yet he seems to have already done his tactical tweaks now with John Stones and whatnot. And it's working to great effect. And I, I'm sure now that he must just have the faith that he's, he's got the system the way he needs it to be. And we just need to play out the season from here. And there's no one as good as us. Yeah, I saw Rico Lewis at the uh, under-21 game today. And he was the, the player that sort of, <laughs> you could almost say, invented the uh, the John Stones role. Um, yeah. I mean, I know Pep's a big fan of uh, Philip Lahm from his time when Lahm was a right back and was converted into sort of deep line midfielder um, when he was at Bayern Munich, uh, of irony of ironies. And now we're looking at a City midfield, which has almost two deep lying midfielders, Stones and Rodri. Uh, Gundogan, we know, could possibly play in that type of a role as well. There's a lot of flexibility within that squad. But just before we, we come back to looking ahead in, in the last few moments of the podcast, um, if I asked you away from the the 99 season, the 98-99 season, and the heroics at Wembley, uh, what, what was your happiest time at City, Nicky? Um, you know, the... the Biggest achievement, in my opinion, and it's only really personal to me because no one else really knows what I went through and, you know, how sort of deep you had to dig at the time, um, is when I played pretty much all the 2006-2007 season because I had some uh, some horrific injuries with my knee. Ended up having, I've had six operations in total now, but at the time I'd had five operations. I had a, a cartilage implanted from a corpse. I'd, you know, so it was groundbreaking at the time. I was the first British footballer to ever have it done. Um, I only got a 70-30% chance of it being successful. And it literally was, you know, the last of the dice for me. So at sort of 25, I was I couldn't have come any close to retiring than I did. So to come back and play all the games I did in the 2006-2007 season is something that, you know, I'm very proud of. I never thought I'd get back to play, certainly not in the Premier League. Um Obviously, the Wembley game was the one that sticks out, but the Blackburn game the, the year after as well, which that, I call that the forgotten game because because everyone talked about Wembley and that's sort of where it started, if you like. That was, uh, you know, that was just the most the most enjoyable time I've ever had because I never enjoyed a game of football in my life because I was always nervous about making a mistake or something could go wrong. But the sort of last 20 minutes at Ewood Park, um, you know, it's everywhere I look, people are doing the conga and the city fans everywhere. And, you know, that was the most enjoyable time, um, you know, I, I sort of ever had on a football pitch. And, and at the end of the 2006-2007 season, I'd actually agreed a new two-year contract with the club. Um, I won't bore you for all the details, but yeah, I'd pretty much verbally agreed it. I'd shook on it. And from, for one reason or another, it never happened. Then I left and went to Charlton. Um and it, it, at the time, I thought it was the best decision, and it, it sort of was at the time, with the, you know. Um, but it, it's the sort of biggest regret of my life, really, because I, I could have stayed at City um, two years. There was a testimonial in there, um, option of a third year, um, so I could have ended up being at City a long, long time. But 
well, more than the 10 years I was there. So that's that's a massive regret, but I don't really believe in regrets because when you make the decision at that time, it's the right decision. So I thought I made the right decision. As it turns out, I didn't because we went to Charlton. <laughs> They'd just been relegated from the Premier League. Two years later, we, we got relegated again. So that was the end of that one. But yeah, least I look back at my time at City with, you know, huge sort of fondness and uh, yeah, absolutely love my time. And I'd, I'd love to, you know, click my fingers and, and be back there now. But it's, uh, yeah, it's something that, you know, I'm really proud of. And and I always, I just, just feel a massive, you know, connection with City. You had the the honour, really, I'd call it, of being able to play for City at both grounds, didn't you? Main Road and the new stadium. Not many players looking back will have had that. And how, how do you compare the two? And I mean, obviously, leaving Main Road and going to the new stadium. Yeah, listen, I love Main Road. Um, I felt I knew every blade of grass on the pitch. I knew where on a wet day where the, the wet bits would be, uh, where the dry bits would be, where the pitch would be quicker and slower. Um, you knew certain faces in certain seats that you'd see every every week and and that sort of thing. Um, and obviously, you've got to move with the times. The Etihad, or Eastlands as we called it, I think, when we first moved there, it wasn't what it is now. It, it, it took a few years to sort of, for everybody to settle in there because, you know, we did the singing, had, you know, it normally come from this stand or that stand or this area. And it just, I think, just took everybody. And obviously, when we first moved in, because it, it, it was sort of grey, and not blue, it didn't really feel like... And it's the same with a lot of clubs who move stadium. It's very difficult. Um, it's interesting that... I never knew this till someone pointed it out to me, but my first appearance for City um, at the Etihad, or Eastlands as it was then, um, was when David James went up front. So that was my first ever... I played in the reserve games and pre-season friendlies and stuff, but that was my first ever league appearance and it was funny that I mean people ask me about that a lot as well the David James thing uh, but the funniest thing you know without going on too long it was that was my girlfriend's first ever game she'd ever been to and after the game she said to me oh you know does that happen quite regular I said you'll probably never see that you know the rest of our lives so so yeah the Wembley thing is a big a lot of people talk to me about but yeah the David James when he went up front a lot of people asked me about that as well and we should have really explained to anybody who doesn't know that story that David James came on with a number one shirt on or, or put a number one shirt on and, and went in attack. I mean, I've talked to David about that and uh, I occasionally work, work alongside him and uh, he must get sick of answering that question about playing up front like that. But that, that is one of the strangest things I've ever seen. So you can tell your girlfriend that. Yeah. Well, I said, wasn't I said, John Mackin still yeah. on the bench at the time as well? Sorry. Was John Macken still on the bench, Adam's saying? Yeah, John Macken was on the bench. Um, I didn't have a clue what was going on. <laughs> Neither did John Mack. Claudio Reina came off. He was a bit bemused. You know, Claudio Reina's getting subbed for me. And, you know, the first thing I knew about it is Les Chapman, the kit man, uh, legendary kit man, my ad, he, he pulled out an, a James outfield shirt, number one James. And I'm thinking, what? And then it suddenly started and it all sort of and I'm thinking really and it nearly worked because we got a penalty in injury time and I mean J-Mo didn't know what he was doing so no one else knew what he was doing um, <laughs> a lot of people it's sort of a bit of a comical moment really but if it had worked it would have been seen as a masterclass with Stuart Pierce. and I bumped into Stuart a few weeks ago and I've not seen him for a long time because um, you know I, I, Stuart, I played with Stuart for a year 
then he was a coach for sort of three years, then he was manager for... A, so he was there for probably longer than people think he was. Um, and I did say to him, I said, I, I, do you get asked about that? He said, that's the only thing people ask me about from my time at Man City. Because it was pretty, you know, not a lot happened when Stuart was manager. We were just sort of like a middle sort of table team. So that was probably the, the standout moment for people. Yeah, that's, that's probably a diplomatic way of putting it because I know a lot of City fans would say, was it Christmas till the end of the season we didn't score a goal or something when he was manager? Um, and obviously had that penalty miss when uh, when the keeper said, you know, I'll, I'll go tell me which way you're going to put it and I'll go the other way. And then he still missed the bloody penalty. Um, but, but coming back to present day stuff, just to finish off with, um, City have got a, a trip to, to Munich in midweek. I'll be going over there, of course, and uh, doing what I normally do for vlog and everything. In fact, Sky have asked me to look out for this. Uh, Sky have asked me to do a piece at around about five o'clock on Wednesday. So you might see me on Sky News or something. See, I'm nearly as famous as you now, Nicky, when, when City are playing. Um, so uh, there's that. And then there's the Sheffield United FA Cup game. And then, and I know we'll have another podcast before then, but then it's Arsenal at home. But I just wonder what, what you're... We'll leave Nicky to the end. Save the best till that. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that because we've got Amy on. But anyway, we'll start <laughs> with you, Amy. Yeah, what, what are your thoughts now on these next three games? Because they're huge, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, I can't see Bayern Munich letting letting us uh, have all the fun. Um, like, you know, not like they did the other day. Uh, big one's got to be Arsenal, and it? It's, uh, yeah... It, you know that that is the that is the pinnacle in it. We've we've got to beat them. We really really have. Um, it's like the Vinnie Company header game against United yeah, on the way to the yeah, title, isn't it? Yeah, that is that is. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't I don't like these games. Like, like this time last year, we'd well 2018. Sorry, we'd won the cup. You know, we'd already won the Premier League, and I like that. There's you you could just sail through. And this is like United and City QPR thing over again, but part of goal difference and all that malarkey. I don't like the stress. I have enough stress in my life. Um, so yeah, I just um, yeah, no, that's 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 the pinnacle game. Uh, yeah, like we've got a nice cushion at Bayern, but I, don't, I can't see them letting us have all the thingy. But we have got a nice cushion. But yeah, Arsenal will be the will be the uh, pinnacle game. Three challenging games to come, Adam. Are you nervous? Are you going to have a routine? Yeah, no, I'm very nervous. Um, I think as far as the Bayern game is concerned, when we spoke about last week with Pep's tactics, you know, I think I'm expecting Pep to go out there and just try and choke that game out. And I would absolutely bite your hand off for a, a boring nil-nil draw right now. <laughs> uh, Sheffield United, we've got to go and beat them because... Um, United are on for a quadruple, aren't they? So someone's got to stop them. Remember all that talk? So hopefully <laughs> we can uh, win the FA Cup and stop United doing the quadruple. Um, and then, yeah, Arsenal is huge. I think we can beat them. But also, I think now the fact that they've dropped these points the last couple of weeks means even if we draw, it's still not over. It gives us a little tiny safety buffer there. We should, we should be good enough to beat them, but there's still a long way to go in that league race. Three big games, Nicky. Uh, you, you said you're going to Wembley. Will you get to see the others? Yeah, I'll be watching them, obviously. Um, maybe I might get asked to do something for the Arsenal game. Maybe not. We'll see. Um, but yeah, talking about the league, the Arsenal game is going to be massive. You know, if City win that, then it's theirs to sort of lose, isn't it? But 
I just think there'll be a lot more twists and turns. There always is. It's never straightforward with, with, with City. Um, the next two games should be straightforward. But like I said, a lot of things can happen in 90 minutes. Um, you know, I don't envisage any slip-ups, but it's amazing when, you know, I know Liverpool in recent times have been going for trebles and quadruples and all sorts. And um, it can soon, you know, everything can be soon, you know, rose in the garden and it can soon change. But uh, yeah, massive couple of weeks. But yeah, Listen, could be sat here in two or three weeks' time, City, you know, in the semi-finals and in the final of the FA Cup and sitting top of the Premier League. So, um, fingers crossed for a big two weeks. But it is, it's, these are the best times of the season. And I know, you know, Amy mentioned about, you know, running away with it and winning with three or four games to go. They're great, but these are the ones that people remember. And these are the ones that, you know, you'll, you'll be showing reruns of them for, you know, the next 20 years because these are the, you know, this is what the neutral wants to see. And it's... You know, obviously we want City to win everything, but it can get a bit boring for for a lot of other fans if uh, if City do that. But yeah, it's uh, it's just a it's, it's the business end of the season, and uh, City are coming good when it uh, when it matters. Maybe in twenty five years from now, I'll be talking to Nathan Ake on this podcast about his celebration at Istanbul when City just won the treble and how he did uh, you know tumbled forward rolls or something on the pitch in Istanbul and, and 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 he'll be saying I'm sick of answering this question it's the only only thing everybody asks me about which is what where Nick is and he's head right now uh, because of uh, of all the years I've been asked the same questions but um, Nick it's great to have had you on really really appreciate your time same to Adam and to Amy and of course thanks very much to Howard solicitors um, who deal with all sorts of stuff. Uh, they specialise, for example, in areas of law that affect the individual. So it's likely that if you need some help or guidance and you need someone to, to talk to, give them a call, 0161 872 9999. Email laura at howard is the website. We'll be back again with another podcast after the semi-final. I'll look out for you on Wembley Way, Nikki, as you make your way down to... Uh, there with your family and uh, I think I've done this before get you on the vlog walking up to Wembley Way uh, in the meantime have a great week oh I should just finally ask you about your own team Sheffield Wednesday um, could go up this year couldn't you well it was looking really promising up and we went 23 unbeaten and I think now we've won one in seven so it's uh, it's all gone a bit uh, pear-shaped for us but listen we're still in with a chance Plymouth and Ipswich are doing really well um, but yeah, it was in our own hands and, and now it's not. You know, we've got to win our last four games to, to have any chance of going up. So hopefully we can do that and we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, it might be uh, it might be another trip to the playoffs. Well, fingers crossed. Uh, let's share the love and hope that you get up there as well and uh, you're in the championship next season. So thanks to everybody, to all the Blues. Um, check out, of course, the, the YouTube vlogs that I do. If you didn't see the one yesterday, Neil Lennon's on there. And a lot of love for John Wardle, as I mentioned before. So check that out. And, of course, I'll be out in Germany flying via Salzburg this time in Austria. So uh, look out for that as well during the week. But uh, great to, to talk to you all. Um, and you don't remember anything else from this podcast, but you just remember one thing. Always remember the last thing you hear. And the last thing you hear is... You know what? It's great to be a blue.